0: The time we're finished today that all of us can sing that and say that and say that we're standing in Christ alone. All right, so it's good to be back with you today. Uh, appreciate uh, Pastor Philip, Pastor Preston preaching the last couple of weeks. They both did a great job. And today we're finishing up Uh, The series, Set Free to Live Free. This is actually week number 13. And we started out kind of some foundational things. We talked about being set free by the cross, set free from religion, set free from the curse, set free by the truth. And then over the last several weeks, we've really kind of been digging into some practical, excuse me, issues and how this applies. I mean, we've talked about pride talked about identity talked about addiction uh, we've talked about depression we've talked about excuses we 've talked about sexual uh, sin we 've talked about worry uh, I think I'm leaving one out but uh, you kind of get the idea but uh, so you know we've talked about being set free from uh, these different kind of things but uh, Here's my concern, and, and here's kind of what I want to do in, in, in wrapping this up. I, I think it's easy for us in, in life to, uh, and, and as Christians, to think, and I ought to do this, wish I'd have done that, should do this, you know, this ought to be different, I need to stop this, I need to, to start that, and end up living with all of these regrets. I think a lot of times we, or I'll say me, and I think if you're honest, you'll agree, that we struggle with kind of knowing how things ought to be, knowing what we ought to do, but seeing this gap between, okay, this is what I know that God's Word says, but this is actually what's going on in my life. You ever feel that way? And so... You know, the, the question is, you know, how do we really deal with that? How, how do we change in that way? How do we really live in freedom? How do we really become the person that God wants us to be? And, and maybe even the question that goes along with that is really, you know, even who does God want me to be? I mean, what am I supposed to be like? And, of course, I think the Bible gives us the answer to that in Romans eight twenty nine, uh, when it says that those he foreknew... God has predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. So ultimately, what God wants for our lives is for us to become like Jesus, to glorify Him, but at the same time, that's what's going to give us our best life, because the more we become like Christ, the more at peace we're going to be, right? The less we're going to worry. Uh, We're not going to be depressed, uh, so we're going to have joy, uh, so on. So all these different issues that we're dealing with are, are really wrapped up in, in Jesus and who he is and, and who he is uh, in our lives. But there's still that question, okay, you know, all that sounds good. I've been in church before. I know I'm supposed to be like Jesus. How do I actually become like Jesus? And, and, and why is it so hard for me to be like Jesus? Why is it so hard for me to live the way I know that I ought to live? And is it just me? <laughs> Am I the only one that struggles with this kind of thing? And if you ever have that question, I've got some good news for you. Uh, the good news is that I struggle with that too. And the people that are going to be, uh, be honest in church this morning would say they struggle with that. And uh, even beyond that, Maybe some good news from Scripture is the Apostle Paul, maybe the greatest Christian who ever lived, apparently struggled with that as well. So, this isn't going to be our main text today, but just to kind of set the stage for what we're talking about this morning, I want to go to Romans chapter 7. Um, this is one of these weeks where, well, I've been working on this for several weeks. I kind of had like three different messages and had, had trouble uh, settling on one. One of them is from Romans chapter seven. So I'm going to give you a bit of that in the introduction to set up what we're going to look at in 1 Timothy 3 and 4. And uh, Paul wrote this. He said, Remember, this Apostle Paul, right, saw Jesus risen from the dead transformed life. Went from persecuting Christians to being a great preacher, missionary, church planner, writer of much of the New Testament, uh, ultimately martyred for Christ. I mean, you think if somebody has it all together, it was Paul, right? But here's what he said. He said, what I'm doing, I don't understand. You ever feel that way? You've been like, why in the world did I just do that? Why in the world did I just say that? Why in the world did I just think that? This doesn't even... I know better than this. Why is this what's coming out of me? He says, For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. Once again, you ever feel that way? It's like, I don't want to do this. Why would I do this? I knew I shouldn't have eaten the whole box of that, but I did. How'd that happen? Right? Why did I say that? I know it's wrong for me to say that. Um, What I hate that I... I mean, I don't want to think this way, talk this way, be this... But it just comes out of me sometimes. Why is that? He says, if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that... I agree with the law that it is good. He's saying, the problem's not the law. The law is good. The problem's in me. And, And so... This is one of the things, this is one of the temptations we've got to avoid. This is what people do sometimes. When we're not living up to the God's standard, we have this tendency to try to lower God's standard. And I think that's what he's getting at here. He's saying the standard doesn't change. The problem's not with the law. The problem's with me. And when we try to change God's standard, we're ultimately fighting a losing battle because God and his word don't change. But we're just going to end up creating more problems for ourselves. So then he explains, this is really what's going on, verse 17. Then it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is my flesh, nothing good dwells. You're saying when you got saved... The Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. You got a new nature. But that didn't obliterate just your natural person. It didn't obliterate the sin nature that's in you. You ever feel like there's just a battle going on inside of you? It's the flesh and it's the spirit. Paul amplified that in Galatians chapter 5. If you're a Christian, there's a battle going on. If you say, Well, I don't know that, I don't have that kind of battle. I'm saying you need to get saved today. You need to receive Jesus and be forgiven of your sins. Because if you're just kind of floating along thinking everything's cool, living however you want to live, that's not good. It may feel good in the moment, but that's ultimately the most destructive thing that you can ever have in your life. So he says, in me nothing good dwells. For the will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I don't find. say, how could Paul be saying this? Maybe some of you are thinking that. Some of you are thinking, I'm feeling a little bit better now because I I think the same kind of stuff. He says, for the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what uh, I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. Both these things going on inside of us if we're a Christian. It says, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. And if you don't delight in the law of God, you're not really a Christian. That's one of the characteristics of a true believer. Uh, if you can kind of just take or leave scripture, or if you want to change it all the time, that kind of thing, uh, your heart's not right with God, and you need to receive Jesus. But he says, I, I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind to bring me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And then he says, oh, wretched man that I am. Of course, there's nothing to, that I've got to commend myself to God. There's, there's nothing in me that's going to make God accept me. I mean, I didn't know Dylan was going to say, you know, what he said before the song. Some of you didn't know that Dylan actually spoke would be my guess. But, uh, you know, only songs come out of his mouth. But, I mean, you know, what he said is absolutely true. Uh, God doesn't love us because we're lovely and lovable. God loves us despite us because he is love. That's grace. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he answers his question. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. What he's saying, the only way we can be delivered from these wretched, sinful, weak, failing people that we are is by Jesus Christ. And so that kind of sets us up then, hopefully, to go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And and this is what we're going to focus on. And we're going to be in 1 Timothy 3 and 4. We're going to look at two uses of the word godliness. And if we want to be a godly person, we want to live in freedom, we want to be the person that God has created us to be, God has saved us to be, we need to see that it's Jesus who makes us godly, Jesus who makes us right with God But we also need to see that it takes a disciplined effort to know Jesus better to actually truly live this out in our lives. Okay? There's a balance here. Jesus makes us right with God. Jesus saves us. And we're talking about Jesus saving us. Let me be theological for a minute, and then I'll give you an illustration. Um, When we say Jesus saves us, if you're new to church, say, what does that mean? That means that if we're in Christ, if we're trusting him through his death, burial, and resurrection, we're justified. We have been saved. We've been forgiven and declared righteous in the sight of God. But it also means that we are being saved. The theological term is sanctified. That progressively we're being delivered from the power of sin in our lives. That God is working in us by the power of his spirit through his word to make us more like Jesus. To help us repent of sin. To help us become more obedient, to help us become more faithful, to help us become more trusting, to, to make us like Christ. But it's a process, and that process isn't going to actually be repeated and or, or, or completed until we go to heaven. And this is called glorification. We're there. We're perfected. We're being. We're permanently delivered even from the very presence of sin in a perfect place with a perfect God worshiping him forever. That's what it means to be saved. If you're saved, you have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. The work of Jesus Christ from beginning to end. Amen. Now, let me kind of illustrate this for you, okay? Um, about eight, nine years ago, uh, I tore my ACL on my right knee playing basketball and had to have knee surgery okay and of course when you're a preacher uh anything that's has has sermon illustration material in it has some redeeming value to it okay you know even if it's bad but uh and so I think people got you know eight nine years ago got you know sick of me talking about my knee but most of you are new so I'm going to use it as an illustration today okay um I mean, that's how it works, right, Philip? I mean, it's like you want somebody in your family to go out and do something illustration-worthy, right? Whether it's good or bad. But anyway, so, um, you know, playing basketball one morning, Jefferson City Community Center, I don't know how it happened, just I uh, jumped, landed, and... Tore my ACL. And it was kind of weird, you know, the ACL is your, the stabilizing ligament in your knee, but my knee was pretty stable. So when they first did an examination, you know, they didn't think it was any big deal. When the swelling went down, it seemed okay. About a month later, played basketball again and, and got hurt again, kind of, you know, knew it was, there was a problem there. So they doing the MRI, all this kind of thing, tell me that the ligament's torn. But, you know, once again, my knee was stable. So, like, uh, you know, I, I really didn't want to have surgery. And, you know, a lot of times in our lives, I mean, this is kind of a parable. A lot of times in our lives, we know something's wrong. We don't want to do what it takes to have it fixed. Um, You know, like I said, it's kind of a parable. It's a spiritual analogy. You know, a lot of you know that you're not right with God. You know that there's stuff wrong in your life. You know that you need some things fixed, that you need some healing, that you need things made right. But you don't want to do what it takes to meet God. You don't want to humble yourself, repent of your sin, give up your self-righteousness, and, and trust Christ. And so that's kind of maybe my job as a preacher is to challenge some of that. And I'd be honest with you, you know, the person that kind of talked some sense into me was Charlie Gibson. He had done this before, had the surgery before. It wasn't even arthroscopic when you had it done, was it? So, uh, you know, uh, Charlie Gibson, he kind of talked some sense to him and decided to have the surgery. But, you know, when you're getting ready to have the surgery, you know, went to KOC, had a great doctor, Dr. Uh, Mathian, works on a lot of the UT athletes. I mean, he was fantastic, had it done at St. Mary's. They were great and, you know, uh, just very blessed. I mean, you know, everything went smoothly. But they tell you before the surgery, you know, we can fix your ACL. I mean, they do a graft from your patella tendon, you know, just put it in there. and They fix it and just, you know, it's really probably stronger than the one in, in your other knee once they do it. But they tell you, if you're not going to do the rehab, if you're not going to do the physical therapy, don't even have the surgery because your knee's whole, it's fixed, it's made well, but functionally, it's not going to be right if you don't, you know, do the treatments and you don't work out and stretch and all all these other kind of things to get the swelling out of it, to get the range of motion back, to get the flexibility, to get the strength back, that kind of thing. And so, you know, I made up my mind, if I'm going to do the surgery, I'm going to work hard at, at, at this. And really what my goal was was to get back to playing basketball. And so, uh, you know, I, I was blessed that the surgery went well, surgery went great. And then I worked hard and, and, and was blessed too. And, you know, I was playing basketball again in six and a half months, which is not bad when you're 38 years old, when you're, when you're having uh, knee surgery. Uh, here, here's the point of what we're going to talk about today. The surgery fixed me, made me whole, made me well, but functionally in my day-to-day life, and I mean, you know, have no problems with my knee, I mean, I know I could hurt again, you know, know I'm getting old or something, but I mean, you know, no pain, no stiffness, Nothing like that. Uh, you know, played soccer a couple of times in Honduras, no problem. Had the miracle of the trips, Molly and I actually scored goals while we were playing <laughs> soccer in, in Honduras. But, uh, uh, but that came because I disciplined myself to, you know, for the first however long to have ice on it. You know, when I was supposed to have ice on it. And to to go to rehab and do my exercises. And then when it was time to start running and lifting weights and all those kind of things. My point is this. What we're going to see in this text today, if you want to be fixed, made whole, made well spiritually. You want to be a godly person, the kind of person that God wants you to be. Jesus does that. Jesus makes us godly. Jesus makes us right with God but at the same time if we're going to you know live like a godly person experience this functionally in our lives we're going to see that the scripture tells us that in order to do that we have to exercise ourselves toward godliness we have to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness jesus when we first trust him immediately declares us righteous makes us right with god but to practically change to be sanctified to grow the the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter two, it, it, it's, it tells us to work out, not work for, but work out our salvation. It's talking about sanctification. Work out our uh, salvation. Why? Because it is God who is working in us, in us, both to will and to do for His good pleasure. It's both and. You understand that? It's, it's, it's God doing it. But we have to discipline ourselves to really experience Jesus and, and really let him change us in practical ways in our day-to-day lives. Sometimes I think, you know, we just want to sit back and let him zap us, right? And, and I think the question this is going to address is, okay, I'm a Christian, I mean, some of you would say that. Some of you, you're, you're not a follower of Christ. And that's the step you need to take today is to trust him, to give him your heart and life, to bring your sin to the cross and receive his grace and forgiveness in exchange. But, uh, you know, many of us are Christians and we like, okay, why, don't, why am I not living in freedom? Why do I know this, but I still struggle so much? Why is this so hard to put into practice in my life? And and, and what I would say is I'm not saying this is the only reason, but if we're not disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness, we're not going to experience what we have in Christ. Listen, we don't have to get anything from him. The Bible says we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The Bible says we're complete in Christ. The Bible says that he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. We have a new nature. We have a new heart. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. All of these things are true of us, imparted to us, placed within us at the moment of salvation. We don't have to get anything from him. We just have to work out what he's already put into us. But that's where the discipline comes in. Does that make sense? All right, let's read what the Scripture says here. 1 Timothy 3, starting in verse 14. This is Paul writing... ...to his young protege, Timothy, who's pastor of the church at Ephesus. And, uh, I mean, he's writing to him, giving instructions how to pastor, how the church is supposed to function. It applies to all of us. And we're going to read into chapter 4 because, you know, the chapter and verse divisions were added later for us just to help us find things. This was originally a letter from Paul to Timothy... Written in Greek, written on some kind of scroll or parchment or, or, or something like that, uh, but he was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God leading him and what to say to him, and that's why it was preserved in Scripture. And this is what he says, First Timothy three fourteen: These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I'm writing, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. So what he's saying is, I'm hoping to come and see you personally. But in case I can't, I'm giving you some instructions for how the church of God is supposed to function. And really, uh, probably the appropriate, the best translation of this would not be the house of God, but the household of God. Because the church is people. The church is the family of God. And that's what it's talking about. It's not talking about a brick-and-mortar building it's talking about you know, the church as the dwelling place of God, the people of God. He says, which is the church of the living God. I love that phrase. It's an Old Testament phrase. But what it makes me think about is the fact that the church, the head of the church, Jesus Christ, is alive. Right? It'd be dumb for us to come to church and sing worship songs to a dead guy. Right? I mean, would there be any point in that? I mean, we'd be crazy. But it's the church of the living God because Jesus rose from the dead, which is the pillar and the ground of the truth. The church is called to defend and to declare, to proclaim uh, the, the truth of God. It's, it's like a sure foundation, but it's a pillar that displays uh, the truth of God as well. And then verse 16, one of the verses we're going to focus on because it has, here's one of the usages of the word godliness. He says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Now, let's define two words there. Mystery, when it's used in the New Testament, generally means, and that's, this is the usage here, something that was spoken of in, in, in the Old Testament, but it's not really made clear until the coming of Christ. It, it, it's, it was a mystery. It was kind of veiled. But now, when Christ came and the New Testament's written, it's made clear. So he's saying for us, he's making clear for us. What it means to be godly. What it means to be like God. What it means to be Christ-like. What it means to be the person that God wants us to be. And so, let me just stop and ask a question before we read the rest of the verse. This is my opinion. I'm just kind of curious for you to agree. If we went around churches in East Tennessee today, and we took a poll, and we said, what makes someone a godly person? How do you become a godly person? Something like that. My, my guess is, uh, m- my, I think it's an educated guess, is that um, the majority of people would give a list of do's and don'ts. Think that's true? So what makes you godly? Well, if you do this, this, and this, and you don't do this, this, and this, then you're a godly person. How many of you think my hunch is right about that? How many of you agree with me? Okay. But I want you to see here, that's not how Paul defines godliness. Paul doesn't define godliness by a list, by things. He defines it by a person. Look what he says. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. Or some translations say, Who was manifested in the flesh? But it's clearly referring to Jesus Christ, God incarnate, the Word made flesh. Saying Jesus left heaven, came to earth through the virgin birth. Probably like we sang in Christ alone, which is a modern hymn. This is probably a portion of an early church hymn. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, which Bible commentators debate the meaning of this phrase. My conviction is is it refers to uh, the resurrection. If you go to 1 Peter 3.18, you know, Jesus was justified in the spirit. He was declared to be the son of God through the resurrection of uh, the dead. He was seen by angels. I mean, think about all the big events of Jesus' life. His birth, his death, his resurrection, some of the things in between. that were witnessed by angels. And you know what? The angels didn't even understand really what was going on. You know, Peter, Peter said that these were things, matters of salvation, that the angels desire to look into. Why? Because they don't know it firsthand. Jesus didn't die for angels. Sometimes people say, you know, such and such, they went to heaven and now they're an angel. Listen, people don't become angels in heaven. It's much better than that. We're sons and daughters of God. Angels were created by God. We're created by God, but we're also redeemed by the blood of Christ. Jesus died for us. He didn't die uh, for angels. And I'm sure, you know, that's why, you know, like Jesus said, you know, the Father could call down, you know, legions of angels to come and rescue me. And I'm sure he had to hold them back because they didn't really understand why Jesus was on the cross. But we know that it was for us. He says he's a priest among the Gentiles. You know, that's what the church did, believed on in the world. That's why there is a church today, you know, just the, the gospel being handed down from generation to generation. He was received into glory. Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he's now making intercession for us, from which someday he'll return for his church, his bride. It's kind of Christian theology, an outline of the life of Jesus in, in, in a nutshell. And Paul says, you want godliness? Look at Jesus. Amen. And then he kind of doubles down at the beginning of the next chapter because even back then, a lot of people had a list. A lot of people were looking at external things because look at what he says here. He says, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, now what's latter times? Sometimes people, they go overboard with this. You know, some of these crazy prophecy teachers out there trying to predict, you know, the day of Christ's return. You know what I'm talking about, Right. Latter times or last days is a phrase that's used in the New Testament. It's not looking for a specific date. It's an age in history that began at the crucifixion of Christ and continues until he returns. So we're in the last days, but we've been in the last days for 2,000 years now, and we don't know what God's timetable is for the last days. But he says in, in latter times, some will depart from the faith. Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrine of demons. Because as we talked about in this series, Satan's a liar. He's a deceiver. That's how he tries to destroy us. Speaking lies and hypocrisy. Having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Literally the words cauterized. Do you know your conscience can be cauterized? Some people say, man, that'd be awesome if I didn't feel guilty. Can I just tell you if you ever get to that place, you're doomed. It's the worst place you can ever be. So don't resist... The wooing, the speaking of the Holy Spirit as he draws you to Christ, as he convicts you of your sin. He says, and here's what they were doing. And this is what I'm talking about with the list. External things, asceticism, legalism. Legalism is when you try to make yourself right with God by your own self-effort. Or when you judge other people based on your personal preferences and convictions that aren't actually in Scripture. This is what he's talking about. He says, forbidding to marry. So these people were saying, well, if you're single, if you don't get married, and I would assume if you're celibate along with that, kind of like the Roman Catholic Church with your priests, you know, then you're more holy in God's sight. It's not scriptural. It says, commanding to abstain from foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. What are these foods? Well, it says, for every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with Thanksgiving. In other words, he's saying, if you don't eat certain foods, if you don't eat meat, that's not going to make you right with God. So, now now don't misunderstand. If you're a vegetarian, I'm not being critical at all. That's awesome. It's more meat for me. But but just don't be a vegetarian to think that that's somehow going to make you right with God. That's what he's getting at here. Since we're sanctified by the word of God in prayer. So you understand what Paul's saying? Paul is very clearly saying, if you want to be a godly person, it's not in this outward stuff. It's not in rules. It's not in lists. It's not in what you do or what you don't do. It's found in Jesus Christ. So this is the first point I want to make to you, okay? This message is pretty simple. It's got two points. So i if you put number one up on the screen... It, And I want everybody to get this. Okay, look at this. In Christ, if you're a Christian, if you're trusting Jesus, in Christ, I am a godly person because of what Jesus has done for me and not because of what I do. That's what he's saying. Now, let's break that down look at a couple of different aspects of this, okay? Here's the first part. I am a godly person. Do you know that? I know sometimes, Robin, it's a little bit hard to tell. But (laughs) I, I, I am a godly person. You know what? If you're in Christ, you are a godly person. Here's a key distinction. Listen to me. If you're in Christ... You're not an ungodly person trying to act right. You're a godly person who occasionally acts in ungodly ways. Completely different mindset. Completely different way to live. In Christ... You and I are godly people who sometimes do ungodly things. We're not ungodly people trying outwardly by our own strength to get it right. The cross sets us free so we don't have to carry around this ball and chain of self-effort anymore trying to make ourselves right with God and trying to convince ourselves and everybody else that we're okay. So, in Christ, I'm a godly person, but we can't stop there. I'm a godly person because of what Jesus has done for me. He came to make me right with God. He came to save me. He came to rescue me. It's not because of what I do. So, the thing is, if if, if you're not a Christian... You want to be godly? You want to be right with God? You want to be forgiven? You want to be free? You don't want your life to be controlled by guilt? It comes from admitting that you are a sinner. It comes from admitting that you're not right, but it also comes from just admitting, I can't make it right myself, and surrendering to Christ, trusting Him, relying on who He is and what He's done for you in His death, burial, and resurrection. But here's the thing, too. Remember, salvation, justification, sanctification, glorification. If we want to be sanctified, if we want to grow spiritually. See, here's a lot of times what people do, and here's where I was uh, for a long time. And, And here's where I think probably most churches in East Tennessee are. We probably get the salvation part of it right. We know we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But then when it comes to sanctification, we got these lists. And we got these do's and don'ts when the only way we're going to be sanctified is by every day continually fixing our eyes on jesus christ and looking to his cross listen we never overcome sin by looking at our sin i mean think about it. simple analogy how many of you had a smucker's donut before smucker's donuts are awesome right I mean, somebody should start singing the Hallelujah Chorus right now. But if you don't know what a Smucker's Donut is, uh, think Krispy Kreme on steroids, all right? It's like, well, first of all, I think it tastes better than Krispy Kreme, but it's like the size of about three or four Krispy Kreme donuts. I think it's about the size of a child's face, uh, I think. And um, I mean, it's just awesome. So, so, but let's say, for whatever reason, you've either decided that you're gonna, not going to eat donuts, health, diet, whatever, or you can't because of some health reason. And let's say Andrew showed up with his truck, uh, and, and he brought, you know, a, a big box of hot Smucker's donuts. This is a terrible analogy at 20 to 12, right? Some <laughs> of your stomachs are already growling. But, um, but, but he brings a big, I'm, I'm too far in now to stop, but uh, he, he brings a big box of Smucker's donuts in here. And you're like... And I can't have one of those. But he's kind of walking around with you, keep looking at you, saying, ah, that's bad for me. Shouldn't do that. Can't have one. And, and you kind of keep going, ah, oh man, all that sugar the strip. No, that's bad for me. What are you going to do? You're going to eat a donut. <laughs> right? Because whatever we put our focus on is what it, where, where our life eventually heads. If our focus is on our sin, even overcoming sin, <laughs> if that's where our focus is, that's where our actions are going to be. But if our focus is on Jesus and on his cross and on who he is and how he loves us and what he's done for us in his redeeming, transforming power, day by day, moment by moment, we're going to experience him and experience his power in our lives. And He's going to set us free from this indwelling sin. And he's going to transform us to make us the person that he created us to be because the way to overcome sin is not focusing on sin, it's focusing on Jesus. We have to see that Jesus is better than our sin and come to love him more than our sin so we repent and lay it down in his power we're sanctified by the cross as much as we're saved by the cross so no if you're in Christ you are a godly person because of what Jesus has done for you and not because of what you've done if you're not in Christ you can be today in this moment if you'll trust him and this will be true of you now once again though To to finish this, the second part of this, there's that question. Okay, if all that's true, all that sounds great, and we can sit in church and amen that, but but (laughs) what about on Tuesday morning when I'm dealing with a problem at work? Or what about on Wednesday when one of my kids is going crazy? Or what about on Friday when I get some bad news and there's a problem? How do I handle it then? You know, what about, I mean, this sounds great in church, but what about when i got to face this temptation that I've been facing for all these years and it just seems like such a struggle tonight or tomorrow or whenever it is? You know, how do we actually experience this in our life? Remember what I said before, the surgery fixes us, but the discipline makes us functional. Because look at what he says here in in, in the next couple of verses, 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. See, we just can't sit back and expect Jesus to zap us. He's in us. He's with us. He's for us. But we have to pursue him. 1 Timothy 4.6 says, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Um, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. Listen, the only way to live in freedom... It's truth. Look what he says in verse seven. We've talked about time after time in this series. If we're gonna live in freedom, you gotta know the truth because the truth sets you free. Satan's a liar and deceiver. He says, but reject profane and old wives' fables. In other words, no good doctrine. Put away from you the lies of Satan, the the, the myths, the false teachings, the things that he tells us that just don't line up with the word of God. But then notice what he says. He he says, and exercise yourself toward godliness. Or some translations say, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Paul liked to use uh, analogies from athletics. You know, talked about in 1 Corinthians 9, running the race. This is an athletics analogy because, actually, you know, this is where we get our word gymnasium from. Exercise yourself. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. If you're going to be a great athlete, you've got to have talent, but you've got to have discipline. How many players have flamed out in their careers, left millions of dollars on the table... Simply because they weren't disciplined. They got out of shape, started using drugs, started drinking, got into some kind of legal trouble. You know, I think I was a huge Boston Celtics fan growing up. And I remember, uh, you know, it's kind of looking like it was coming to the end of their dynasty with Larry Bird and those guys. But then they got like a really high draft. i hadn't even been in number one draft pick one year. And they drafted Lynn Bias out of Maryland, looked like the next superstar. And the night of the draft, he overdoses on cocaine. And, you know, what a waste. All this talent. Didn't discipline himself. You know, well-known NBA player. A lot of you know if you don't like basketball because he's kind of a celebrity. Shaq. You know, won four NBA championships. But there was a guy on his college team at LSU. His name was Stanley Roberts, who was also a first-round NBA draft pick. But he flamed out because he just he wasn't disciplined. He you know ballooned up to like 350 pounds, and you know was out of the league very quickly. Uh, Discipline yourself. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Like I said, Jesus puts everything into us that we need. when we get saved, but we work it out uh, uh, of us. We put it into practice in our lives by disciplining ourselves to know him better. And, And that's the second point I want to make. The first point is in Christ, I'm a godly person because of what Jesus has done for me and not because of what I do for him. But number two, in Christ, functionally, I can live like a godly person. Because or through a disciplined effort to know Jesus better. I mean, think about it. Let's let's just get real practical. So you're a Christian, you've been forgiven, you're going to heaven. But if you never read your Bible, do you expect to really live like a godly person? If you only pray when you're in a jam and you need to get bailed out, I mean, do you expect just to, you know, have the strength to be able to resist temptation and just be on fire for Christ and, you know, just have it all together spiritually? I mean, does that really even begin to add up? If if, if we're believing lies all the time, if what we're putting in our minds are, are the things of the world instead of the truth of God, how are we supposed to live this out in our lives? If there's all kinds of sin and disobedience in our lives, we're not repenting, we're not confessing our sins, how do we think, really, that we're going to experience the fullness of the Spirit and and, and God's power and God's enabling in our lives? If we only show up at church when it's convenient for us, I mean, do we really expect that we're going to grow And become more and more like Jesus? Here's the reality. Practically speaking, our habits and our choices is what makes us who we are. Craig Rochelle has defined discipline like this. Choosing to do what we want most instead of what we want now. Choosing... What we want most instead of what we want now. And, and that applies in just all kinds of practical ways. When you say, uh, what I want most is to be debt free. That comes from choosing what we want most instead of what we want now, day in and day out. You say, I want to be healthy. I want to be in good shape. It comes from choosing What I want most instead of what I want now. You say, I want to have a great marriage. I want to be close to my spouse. Well, that comes from, if that's really what we want most, choosing to spend time with our spouse and communicate and work on things instead of choosing, you know, to watch a ball game or a movie or whatever it may be in the moment. And spiritually, it comes from choosing to spend time with Jesus, to do what it takes in our lives, to make the adjustments we need to make to do that. Instead of whatever we may want in a given second. You see, discipline, in discipline, somebody said, we pay now or we pay later. But when we pay later, the price is always greater. Discipline is really, it's choosing the pain of discipline over the pain of regret. It's choosing the pain of discipline over the pain of regret. Let's be honest, discipline is not pleasant. It can't be painful and unenjoyable. But isn't it better to live with discipline in seeking Christ and pursuing Christ than to live with the I shoulda, I woulda, I coulda, I wish, what if, why did I do this? And the reality is, is we can't have it both ways. I mean, Jesus makes us godly. They fixed my knee. But my knee wouldn't be working very well today if I hadn't disciplined myself to rehab it. And You know, Jesus may have saved you. You may be going to heaven. But if you're really going to experience His fullness in your life, you have to pursue Him. So I just want to leave you with this one application. And, you know, there's maybe a lot of different ways we could apply this. And, you know, originally when I was going to preach this, I was just kind of going to talk about discipline in general. But I felt like the Lord led me in this direction. And so, you know, there may be ways that God leads you to, you know, the Spirit speaks to you about applying this. But I I just want to leave you with this one application for Christians. If you're not a Christian, the application for you is to give your life to Christ. And that's his invitation today. If you're a Christian... I believe you this is one verse Matthew 6:33 Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you Listen if we want to experience the transforming power of Jesus Christ in practical day-to-day ways in our lives. It comes when we put Him first. When we give Him our first fruits and not our leftovers. When, when we uh, you know, surrender to Him. When we spend time with Him. And so my application, my challenge to you would be this. I, I'd ask you to just to make a decision to discipline yourself. that you're, Tomorrow morning, you're going to set the alarm clock however much time earlier to get up and to seek the face of Christ. To pray. To be in His Word. Find a Bible reading plan. You know, if you download Version on your phone, pick one of their plans. Uh, I mean, that's a simple way to do it. But to pray, to worship, to confess sin, to commit your life, to commit your day, to commit your family to the Lord. For ask, ask for His direction. To ask for His strength. To ask Him to fill you uh, with His Spirit. And then to live out of that. Listen, I'm not asking you to become a disciplined person. I'm not asking you to do anything by yourself. I'm asking you to make one decision. To begin your day with Christ. And see what he does in your heart. Because I believe what you'll find... It's day by day. I mean, it's not instantaneous. It's not a snap of the fingers. It's not something magical. It's not coming to a church service or going to a conference or getting somebody to pray over you or getting somebody to anoint you or getting somebody to lay hands on you. It's not instantaneous. It's gradual. It's progressive. I mean, think about it. What's the Bible call the Christian life? It calls it a walk. Calls it a walk. It's day by day. We got to be walking to be growing. I mean, if we're just standing still, we're not growing. It's a walk. Walk in Christ. Walk in the Spirit. He tells us all these different ways to walk day by day. But I believe it transforms the rest of our day to give the first part of our day to Christ. Why do you come to church on Sunday morning? You know, you know what part of the reason is? I mean, we're New Testament resurrection Christians. The Sabbath was for, for, for Jews. But you know what you're doing? When you come to Jesus, you come to church, worship, I mean, not just show up, but when I mean, you really come to worship, you're giving him the first fruits of your week. You're starting the week by acknowledging Him as Lord and giving Him the glory that's due His name. When you give financially, not out of leftovers, but out of first fruits, you're acknowledging Him as the giver of all good gifts It's saying that, that, that He's worthy. Seek first the kingdom of God. Put first things first. Make the most important the most important. And He says these other things will be added unto you. Once we get the first thing in place, other things, by the grace of God, will fall into place after that. And you say, I'm I'm just not a disciplined person. I'm not either. It's one choice. It's one choice. And you know what I find in my life? When I have this one discipline of, you know, getting up, spending time with Him first... I'm pretty disciplined then in the rest of my life. Why? Because I'm living then in the power of the Spirit instead of in my own strength. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But if we're not seeking first Him and His kingdom, we're going to miss out on that. Let Jesus forgive you today if you're not a Christian are Christian. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness so you can be the person that he's designed you to be and live in the freedom that he purchased on the cross. That's how to put this series into practice. That's how to make this work in our lives. Let's bow our heads and and close our eyes. If you're not a Christian, God's speaking to you today, convicting you of your sin, revealing who Jesus is to you, he invites you to respond to him right now. Listen, the Bible says we believe in our heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. We will be saved. It says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you have the faith to believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior, He invites you to confess that with your mouth, to call on his name, receive him into your life. And so I encourage you right now to call on the name of Jesus and ask him to forgive you, ask him to change you, ask him to come into your life, to confess him as your Lord and Savior. Say, you know, I want to do that, but I really don't even know how to pray. I can suggest some words to you, but it has to come from your heart to the heart of God in faith. There's nothing magical about a prayer, but you can pray something like this. Dear Lord, God, I I know you created me, but God, I'm guilty. I've sinned against you. I've rebelled against you. I'm sorry. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross for me. I believe he rose from the dead. Right now, by faith, I receive him into my heart. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to make me new. I give you my life. Jesus, I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to live for you by your grace. Listen, if you have faith, you confess that faith, he'll keep his word. He'll save you. If you trusted Christ, if you have questions about that, come see me at the front when we're finished or talk to Pastor Philip in the lobby or talk to somebody you know or fill out your connection card and put in the offering boxes in the back and check the appropriate blank. We'd love to follow up with you, answer your questions, help you meet Jesus or help you take the first steps in your spiritual journey. For those of us who are Christians, are we disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness? If you know you're not right now, I encourage you to ask the Lord to forgive you. Ask for His grace. And ask for the Holy Spirit to enable you to take the first step. Get up in the morning. Spend time with Him. Tuesday morning, get up, spend time with Him. Wednesday morning, get up, spend time with Him. When you blow it one morning, just ask Him to forgive you. Do it later in the day. Do it the next day. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And it's not you changing yourself, but Jesus will change you step by step. Day by day, that's how we grow in Christ. Father, I pray that you draw people to yourself. Lord, uh, give us the faith and the grace and the strength to obey and to apply your word and ha- whatever ways you're speaking to us in our lives. God, sanctify us and change us. Set us free. Make us like Jesus. Help us to live this out. Father, just for people who don't know you, I just ask that you give them faith by your grace and draw them to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.